Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast, where we are training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. So take your Bible out and turn to Matthew chapter 5. This is the last message in the series that we're going through, um, the Beatitudes. And um, the Beatitudes are found in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 and there's 12 verses there and we've taken them uh, one at a time eight beatitudes today um, we're uh, going uh, through verses 10 through 12 all right and just by way of review remember Jesus um, he's got all these guys around him he likes to teach on the side of a mountain makes it uh, a natural sort of I think it's I mean if I was Jesus it'd be because of the view <laughs> It'd be because um, you can see things. It'd be because um, it's easier to speak to a crowd. So he's talking to his guys. He's teaching his guys some really important things. The Beatitudes are a celebration of these characteristics that um, are a part of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God in the kingdom. When you're in the kingdom, this is who you are and uh, what you have. And so there are things to be celebrated and owned and leaned into they're also then because there's a crowd listening there that maybe is not um, in the kingdom yet they're an invitation as well to be a part of the kingdom the kingdom is a big deal to Jesus the kingdom is a big deal to any king when you think about the word kingdom it's two parts to it there's the sovereign king part right and then the dumb the dome part right the dome is domain. It's uh, all about territory. So when you're a part of the kingdom, you swearing allegiance to the king. We're going to talk about that a little bit more today. And there's no king on earth, and there never has been really, that's not concerned with the domain and the territory. And so this is what it's all about uh, to Jesus. And so as you read through now the celebration of these things, there's a strategy involved in all of this so let's take a look we're going to read through those 12 verses excuse me one more time Matthew chapter 5 starting in uh, just verse 1 right so when he saw the crowds that's Jesus he went up the mountain and after he sat down his disciples came to him and then he began to teach them so this is a lesson teaching them by saying blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for, they'll be, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. These are our verses we're looking at today. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven for they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. Well, so we're gonna be talking about persecution today. I don't really like, man, I messed my book all up. I don't really like talking about persecution. I got to tell you, it's not an easy subject. It doesn't come easy to talk about it, actually. I think because of the actual 
point of the whole message is why it's uncomfortable. In the United States of America, we don't really, I mean, I don't know, we're not persecuted as Christ followers, really. I mean, truly, I don't think very much. And I think there's a reason for that, which is the point of the message. Um, if you uh, do any reading at all or pay attention to the news, and I don't recommend that you do a lot of it, because <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know, you have to work at it to find out what's what anymore, right? I don't know. I, 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 anyway, <laughs> I won't get into that too much, but the um, Secretary of State, his name is Mike Pompeo, right? I actually really like Mike, Mike Pompeo. I, I feel like he's just a really s solid stand-up guy, and I think he's done a lot of good things. Doesn't matter if you like our president or not. I know that's a bad thing to talk about in church, it seems like. You can't talk about our president, for crying out loud, because it's such a divisive thing in our, cult, in our culture right now, right? The politics and everything is so ridiculous. So uh, it doesn't matter. I like Pom Mike Pompeo. I just think he's doing good things. And he, um, um, through, I think, uh, uh, President George W. Bush, he started this thing called, um, um, it's a Religious Freedoms Act and some things like that. And so every year they come up with this report on religious freedoms. So um, Mike Pompeo comes out to deliver the report on Friday and uh, I read it. I was like, religious freedoms, I'm gonna read that. And it's basically a survey and an assessment of uh, what's going on in our world regarding religious freedoms and persecution. So I thought, wow, this is a God thing. And I was reading that, so I, so I read the report, which is painfully boring, uh, most of it, because it's hard, because <laughs> it's the government, all right? And, uh, and so nothing can just be succinct and short and sweet, but I found other assessments. And you know what was succinct and short and sweet and really great was he did a press, um, a presser or whatever, you're right. He, he came out and um, he spoke to the press and gave a statement and he gave a short summary and, um, of, of the report. And so it was pretty fascinating. And uh, what was fascinating is, wow, it, it, actually, actually, you gotta be careful, right? You gotta be careful of filtering through the news. Our, our world is more at peace than it normally is. Um, it's shocking. Uh, there are bad things happening in the world and there's still war and different things going on, but it's, we're, it's more at peace than, than uh, we have been at times. And, um, but what is also shocking is that there is a lot of religious persecution happening in the world. Really bad things. Um, if you trust uh, um, Mike Pompeo and his department and, and his assessment of things, I don't think he's off. There's some terrible things happening in Iran. Really horrific um, uh, he, um, he, crimes of humanity happening still in uh, North Korea. Um, terrible things in Pakistan, um, terrible things in uh, Afghanistan, in some parts of Afghanistan, really bad things happening in China and all kinds of other places. In particular, I noticed in China, you know, because there's religious persecution happening to all kinds of religions that are not uh, Christianity. And so there's some terrible things. 
But um, what I noticed in China was their assessment that actually, you know, in China you can be imprisoned uh, as a Christ follower actually pretty easy. Um, it, can, it, it can be a crime if you're outwardly spoken um, um, and uh, you do the wrong things. The government still sees themselves as actual, the Communist Party of China still sees themselves as God. And there's some terrible things happening. Um, in particular, um, there are Christ followers amongst other uh, religious organizations and groups in China that um, are being forced to harvest their organs. <laughs> to pay for their crimes against um, God, the God of the Communist Party. You know, I mean, I can believe it. It's shocking. They mentioned it. He mentioned it. Um, the report mentions all kinds of things happening all across the planet. Still. So in comparison to that, you know, I look around at my life and I was barking and complaining just uh, recently over the struggle I was having and the difficulty I was having just painting my house. And Linda said, shut up. <laughs> you know, I mean, gotta be kidding me. Think, why aren't you a little more grateful that you even just have a house to paint? It wasn't as if I didn't hire people to do it. And I was barking about how many things were up against the house that I had to move. And all the different, oh, it, it was painful. But that's the way we, got, we are. And I think it's why it's so difficult sometimes to talk about persecution because just because life doesn't go exactly like you want it, you're not being persecuted. Just because bad things happen doesn't mean that you're being persecuted. And the beatitude here that we're focusing on today clearly points that out. But what we do is we read these things and we pass over them um, and we get the wrong idea and we, get, we fall into this trap because we don't do any critical thinking. So focus with me for a few minutes today on this because I think that the Lord has some really good things to say here. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Here comes the key for righteousness. Oh, see, so this is one of my most favorite authors and he hasn't written a lot of books. He's written some really great books, but... His name is Dick Purnell, and oh, I've told you this before. He wrote this little 31-day um, experiment. It's just a little devotional, and I, I've utilized it a lot for students, and I couldn't find it, it seems like a long time ago, like 25 years ago, I couldn't find it because it stopped being published. So um, um, I had to wait for a while, but um, not uh, maybe 10 years ago when the interwebs really caught on fire, right? That's the internet. Um, I searched for him. I stalked him and I found him and I found his phone number and I just called him and he answered the phone because <laughs> he still had a hard line phone. He answered it. And I introduced myself and, I, and, and he was really nice. And he, I said, hey, you know, you wrote this little book called 31 Day Experiment. It's not published anymore. And I'm wondering if I could get permission from you to uh, make some copies. And he said, oh yeah, sure, go ahead. And I said, okay, thank you. And he said, oh, I got a box in this closet of a bunch of these things. I'll send them to you. 
I said, okay. So I utilize all this. Anyway, I say all this because there's one phrase. Here's the reason why I like this. There's only one phrase, really one little thing is he kind of introduces the whole idea of standing strong in a godless culture. He just says, you've heard me quote it before, but I'll quote it for those of you who have not been around. The problem with Christians these days is that no one wants to kill them anymore. That, that, that's the whole thing. That's the reason why I'm like, all right, I'm doing this. Because if you go through the experiment, you realize why. It's the point of the whole message. The problem with Christians these days is that nobody wants to kill them. How come nobody wants to kill them? How come, you know, but how come nobody wants to kill Christ followers? Really? I mean, we have some problems. You know, there's been some of those crazy people that go into churches and shoot people. And uh, so there's been some of that, but those are kind of anomalies and they're it's usually a crazy person and stuff like that, right? So I'm not saying that bad things don't happen, but Christians or Christ followers are not being killed because of their righteousness in the United States of America. We're just not. So Dick Purnell says, that's the problem, <laughs> Now, this, it'll, it'll make sense. It'll make sense, I think. Let's talk about the meaning of this beatitude here just for a few minutes. In this fallen world that we live in, and it's fallen, you know, we're all sinful and the world is sinful. People try to promote peace all the time, try to, try to champion righteousness or live a life of gentleness and meekness. And, and if you're truly living correctly, here's the thing point, right? Here's the red dot in the middle of the target. Here's the answer to the whole thing. Nobody wants to really kill us because we're doing it wrong, actually. <laughs> we're not really living in a way to where people have to deal with what we believe, actually. If, we, if we're truly, as Christ followers, living the way God, I believe, has intended us to live, people would have to deal with you a lot more, and the way you believe because of your righteousness. It's natural, actually. It's a fallen world. One would think, though, one would think, when you start talking about persecution and things like that, one would think that if you live the way you're supposed to, truly, you live a life that would be then attractive to people. It would attract people to the kingdom, but it's not necessarily true. The way um, um, to attract people to the kingdom um, a lot of times repels people from the kingdom. It's actually very natural. Naturally um, and clearly, um, living like a true Christ follower alienates people a little bit. They have to deal with you and they don't like it because people are in rebellion with God, just like you were before you surrendered your life to Christ. So people might want a form of justice. People talk about justice all the time, wanting justice and equality and equal, right? You know, all these things. But most of the time, if I examine my own heart, it's, uh, I want it on my terms. I want it on my terms. Most of us naturally actually prefer power. We prefer privilege and we prefer possessions, right? Uh, it's, 
it's just the way we are. John the Baptist, he, his message was a, a call to righteousness and to repent, and he lost his head for it. Jesus proclaimed all the right virtues. He had all the right message, and what did, where did it get him? He found himself in, op, um, um, people were in opposition to his message because it called for them to enter the kingdom of heaven, and there are requirements so this beatitude is not simply for all who suffer persecution. There's a lot of persecution happening in the world that we live in. There truly is. God as the righteous judge of the earth is gonna deal with all of the different kinds of persecution. But this beatitude is for followers of Christ in particular. Those who suffer persecution for the sake of righteousness and that's the part you got to dig around in a little bit and as the next verses clarify for um, verses 11 and 12 to the disciples that means suffering for Christ's sake for Jesus suffering for Jesus they've been identified by faith with the king and they carry his name and so when you are in the kingdom right remember king and domain you swear allegiance to the sovereign king you give up everything all of your rights you swear allegiance to Jesus and then he gives you a mission because he gives you a pure heart a new heart he transforms your life you swear allegiance to the sovereign king and then you're all about acquiring more territory for the king he's given us a mission he wants all the nations not just some and so you find yourself then carrying Jesus's name and proclaiming the good news that there's a kingdom of righteousness and peace that is spiritual and eternal and what you should find is that people are uh, lots of folks are in opposition to that actually but he says, you should rejoice for your reward is great in heaven and it's going to be great. God will make it up to you in, in the end. But the blessing stated here is for those who suffer persecution in this world because their destiny, because of the way they're living is in total contrast to uh, the world around him. He says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. And that's the disciples, and that's what they know, and some of them, uh, are, are, and that's what they know, uh, um, it's a message and a life that's worth dying for. So why does this persecution happen? Let's just look at that for a minute. Why does it happen? I want to focus on that for a little bit. It's, an, it's important because not all persecuted peoples are blessed. Only those who are persecuted for righteousness. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. And remember the structure of the Beatitudes. If you haven't been here, I'll just review really quickly because there's two groups of Beatitudes, two groups of four Beatitudes or four attitudes. And each group, all right, so there's two groups and there's four attitudes in each one. Each group ends with a reference to righteousness so the first group ends with verse 6 blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and the second group ends with verse 10 blessed are those who um, are persecuted for righteousness so 
the three beatitudes that linger to hunger for righteousness are descriptions of a kind of holy emptiness, a longing or a yearning or a desire, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn over their needy condition. Blessed are the meek who hand their cause over to, the, uh, over to God. And it's natural that these three descriptions of emptiness need to be followed by a description of hunger. If you don't have something, you hunger for it. So then the next three Beatitudes are descriptions of not emptiness, but fullness. So the hunger is, being, uh, is beginning to be satisfied by an overflow of an overflowing mercy. It's being satisfied by a pure heart and a power to make peace. So the righteousness and satisfaction we want in verse six is given in the form of mercy and purity and peacemaking. And the result is persecution for this righteousness. You see how this is connected? The result of all of this is persecution for this righteousness. So love for Jesus brings righteousness and persecution. Did you catch that? Love for Jesus, true love for Jesus brings righteousness and persecution. And another way to define the righteousness of verse 10 is look at its parallel in verse 11. Look at verse 11. In verse 10, the persecution is on account of righteousness. But in verse 11, it's on account of Jesus. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me. These mean the same thing. Righteousness and a love for Jesus, it's all the same thing. So we learn from this it's, it, that, that true righteousness, the righteousness that goes beyond the righteousness of, remember Jesus says beyond the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day who just, they just do stuff. Right? It goes way beyond that. Always involves a relationship with Jesus. You're not going to be persecuted for righteousness unless you're highly connected to Jesus. <laughs> okay? It's done for Jesus' sake. The mercy and the purity and the peacemaking of disciple of Jesus comes from Jesus. Jesus says later, um, Apart from me, by the way, you know, when he's talking about the vine and the branches and all that kind of stuff, he says, apart from me, you can accomplish nothing. You, can, you can't do anything apart from me. Detached from me, nothing happens. That's John 15. It's done to honor Jesus. We just sent a whole bunch of people um, at the end of the day to um, a, a marriage conference called Weekend to Remember, right? And you know what you learn truly when, it got, when, you, when it's all boiled down to the core of marriage and Why? You love your spouse? Why, do, why, we, why does God want us to love our spouse? We're supposed to love our spouse. We're supposed to love our wives. We're supposed to love our husbands. We're supposed to do all that. You know what it all comes down to? The Christ follower who is um, doing it right, <laughs> loving his spouse for the right reasons, loves his spouse because it pleases God. Loves her spouse because it pleases God pleases God. See, it's actually the righteousness of loving your spouse correctly and done the way God wants it, the way he's designed it. You love your spouse because it pleases God. First, it comes down to your relationship with Jesus first. And that's the way it always is. Love for Jesus brings righteousness, 
and you'll be persecuted for that. It's the root of persecution. It's love and, and justification, by the way. It raises the question, though, think this through. If that's what righteousness means, being merciful and pure and peaceable and relying on Jesus and living for him, living for his glory, why would anybody persecute that? Why? It doesn't seem very offensive. <laughs> why would you persecute that? The answer goes to the root cause and it's found in Luke chapter 16. So turn to Luke really quick. Matthew, Mark, Luke. So we're in Matthew. You got to go over through Mark into Luke chapter 16. Two verses, verses 14 and 15 in particular. Jesus has said already, he said that no servant, you can't serve two masters. You can't swear allegiance to two kings. You violate one or the other. You can only swear allegiance to one king. It's what he means right here. Either he will hate one and love the other, he says. He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money because those are two kings. You can't serve both. So then comes the persecution and the mockery. Look at verse 14. It says, the Pharisees, and then in parentheses, that's commentary by Luke, uh, who loved money, heard all this and ridiculed him. So they mocked and ridiculed Jesus for saying this. There's the persecution and part of its explanation. See, they loved money. In other words, Jesus's attitude towards money is, a, is an attack on their love for money. You see? Then comes the rest of the explanation of their mockery. Look at verse 15. Jesus says to him, you are the ones who justify yourselves in men's eyes. But God knows your heart for what is highly prized among men is utterly detestable in God's sight. So here's the root of persecution with its two parts to this root, right? And, and you know what the root is, right? I mean, just think about a weed. If you just break the top off of a weed and the root's still there, what happens? Not only does it grow back, but it grows back even better. That's what's so bad about weeds. I hate them. Because you got to get out the root. Because if you don't, it's just going to grow back. It's still there. Anything else, you would kill it. But not a weed. Look at this. The root of persecution. One part is the love of something evil or untrue. And the other part is the need to justify that love. That's the whole cause of the whole thing. Jesus comes on the scene with a way of life and a message that implies here it is. This is what it implies, that the love of money is treasonous against God. Because he says, the love of money is your king then, and you swear allegiance to me. I'm the king. You should swear allegiance to me. That's what I want. That's why you can't do both. I, it it's, it's actually makes a tremendous amount of sense. You can't serve two kings. It's not an antagonistic insult. It's, you know, as if Jesus doesn't know that we need to utilize money to live. That's not it. It's part of his purity. It is true. It is essential to know if you're going to be saved. But it goes against the Pharisees' love of money. See, that's their God and that's their king. So to justify themselves, the Pharisees put Jesus down. And this is standard operating procedure for self-justification. This is the route to all persecution. Here it comes. You ready? 
A righteous life is going to be persecuted. A righteous life is going to be persecuted. It's going to happen. You can see why a life devoted to righteousness or godliness is going to be persecuted or spoken against. If you cherish purity, if you're a young person, if you're a teenager and you cherish and you really believe in purity in your life and you're waiting like you should, like you're asked to, like you're commanded to because Jesus owns you and he says, I want purity in your life until marriage, then your life is going to be an attack on uh, uh, people's love for not thinking like that. And you're going to be persecuted for that. You will. You're, you're, you're attacking everybody else. Well, what's wrong with it then? If you embrace sobriety and self-restraint, then your life is going to be a statement against the abuse of alcohol. The Bible doesn't teach us that you shouldn't drink alcohol. It's a, it, 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 it teaches us of, of, uh, not to abuse alcohol. It teaches us not to be mastered by anything. If you pursue self-control, your life is going to be an indictment on uh, excessive eating. If you live simply and satisfied, your life is going to expose the foolishness of flippant luxury. If you walk humbly with your God, you're going to expose the evilness of pride. If you are punctual and thorough in your way of life, you'll, you'll contrast the inferiority of laziness and, and neglect. If you speak with compassion, you're going to throw callous harshness under the bus. If you're earnest and sincere, you're going to make the flippant look flippant in, instead of clever. If you're spiritually minded, you will expose the fleshly mindedness of those that are around you. Two responses to a life of righteousness. There's two responses. Really, there's more, but there's two I want to focus on today. I think they're the two main ones. When you desire to be godly in all your life and relationships, when you follow the righteousness of Jesus for his glory, when your life is about him and not about anybody else, then you love your spouse because it pleases God first. And then you get all the byproducts of loving your spouse. There's two possible responses people can have who are around you when you're doing it right. And they're described in John chapter three. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Turn to John chapter three. You must see it for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. John chapter three, there's two verses, verses 20 and 21. John chapter three, verses 20 and 21. I mean, you should know where this is because the most famous Bible verse in all the world is in John chapter 3. Just a few verses later, everyone who does evil deeds hates the light and does not come to the light so that their deeds will not be exposed. This is one possible response, hating the light and not accepting it. See, there's two possible responses. This is just one. And verse 21, but the one who practices the truth comes to the light so that it may be plainly evident that his deeds have been done in God. That's the other response. Practicing, the second response, right? Practicing truth and coming to it and freely admitting, by the way, that all good in us is accomplished by God. That's it. That's it. The two options then are persecution
or coming to Christ. That's the two options here. The two responses to a life of righteousness. But Pastor Ben, what about all these people that are far from God in my life who are not coming to Christ and they're not persecuting anybody? They're just good people. They're civil people. They're even polite people. What about all of them? Well, I think there's two possible explanations as well. You ready? These are even more painful. Your light is under a bushel. You know the song, don't you? What, what is a bushel? You know that song, This Little Light of Mine. It's a basket. That's what a bushel is. <laughs> your light's under a basket. Nobody can see your light. Nobody can see it. The painters on my house were, took off this little sensor on the side of my house in the backyard. It's a sensor that actually turns on the porch lights when it gets dark. It's supposed to come on. And they were all uptight because they couldn't get it to work. We thought, I mean, we changed the sensor like four times and basically rewired my house and still couldn't get it to work. You know why? The sensor was broke. We had the wrong one in there. And we, I don't know why we didn't think about that. It was probably my fault. See, you're keeping the stumbling block of the cross well concealed. Paul speaks to the, uh, the, the church in Galatia in chapter five. He says, now brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed, right? You don't let your distinctive value show, in other words, right? You're living in a way that the, the offense of the cross has moved. And, and believe me, if you're, if you're following Jesus the way God has, wants us to follow him, it's offensive. It, it, it's going to turn people off some. People are going to have to deal with things. The cross is offensive, actually. And he's saying all of that's been removed if uh, people can't see it. Your light's under a bushel. You don't let your distinctive value show. You're letting your value show and the people around you are moving toward one or the other of these two poles. You're either letting them show or you're not letting them show. Persecution or what? People are coming to Jesus. Those are the two possible things, right? Neither of these have to happen, by the way, immediately. There are all kinds of factors that can hinder expressions of persecution. If you look throughout the New Testament, the Gospels, when the Pharisees were angered by Jesus, when they were hindered uh, sometimes by, um, uh, from their expressing uh, their anger and outright persecution, and they waited. It didn't happen immediately. So neither persecution or coming to Christ is always going to happen immediately. In fact, many people are torn inside and they're wrestling. They're just stiff-arming God for a while, maybe, partly hating the claims of Christianity in your life and partly attracted to them. Do you know anybody that's, that, that's going on? So we all, all right, it's all going to come down to examining ourselves to see if we're playing a kind of cowardly Christian incognito one of the things that's really awesome about google now google chrome if you want it to go faster did you know this you can choose to surf and browse the internet incognito and no one will be able to see where you've been 
except Google. They just, it's just like they, they sort of promise to not tell anybody. <laughs> right. It's, uh, it's, it's awesome and it's terrible at the same time. You can surf the net incognito. You probably shouldn't have told some of you that. I had no idea. Well, you could have done it all along and you just didn't know. If that's you, if that's me, if that's us, we have to resolve to be more sincere in our expression of who we really are and who we're really supposed to be. But we must trust not to assume that because there's no persecution right now and no conversion right now, it's not necessarily your fault, but you know, sometimes, um, sometimes it just takes time. I think a lot of times though it is, it is us. So, so how does this apply to me? How does this apply to me? The lesson is simply, we've gotta be people that should be living for Jesus in this world. We have to. People should be having to deal with what we believe. Living the way members of the kingdom should live. Championing righteousness and justice, showing mercy, remaining meek and poor in spirit. All the things that the Beatitudes praise and celebrate. We need to be living them. They're powerful when we do, and people have to deal with us. But they should know that the genuine righteousness that's offensive to many, it all comes from and on behalf of God. That's what they gotta know. You gotta be prepared for the opposition if you're living the right way. So that's what's so crazy about this. So one last verse. Will you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and when I go to verse 14, some of my most favorite Bible verses ever. Oh, I could just preach a whole message on this. Paul has some really great things to say here, and it's really... I think it's really powerful. Verse 14, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. It's like he's leading us in a parade, a procession in Christ, celebrating Christ who makes known to everybody through us the fragrance that consists of knowledge of him in every place. We are a sweet aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, he says. Think about that. He says, to the latter, an odor from death to death. They smell death when they smell Jesus on you. They're smelling death. They're smelling the choice of death. But to the former, a fragrance from life to life. And he says, and who's adequate for these things? I mean, all of us, we're not worthy of any of us. But thank God it's been installed in us. It's been installed on behalf of us. I mean, it's all about God. We're not like many, he says, all kinds of other people, hucksters and peddling the word of God. We're not just selling it and we're not making money off of stuff. But we are speaking in Christ. We are speaking in Christ because we are in Christ. We've sworn allegiance to the king. We're in the kingdom. We're speaking in Christ before God as persons of sincerity, people of truth as persons 
sent of God, sent by God. You know what happens when you're sent by God and you're living the way you're supposed to live? You smell like Jesus and some people don't like it. (laughs) Some people are like, I can't take that. It smells terrible because they smell a choice of death. They smell a choice, they smell hell. That's what they smell. Some people are like, man, that smells good. Where can I get that? And the thing about it is, when you're living the way you're supposed to live, it all smells really awesome to God. We are a fragrant aroma that pleases God. We smell like Jesus to God, and God goes, oh, smells like my son Jesus. I like it. So pleasing. If you smell like Jesus, you're going you're, you're gonna to have times of persecution, see? But the problem with Christians these days is nobody wants to kill them anymore. How come? We don't smell like Jesus very much. That's what I think. That's what he's saying here. I mean, eventually... If you're living the way you're supposed to live, you smell awfully good to God. People got to deal with you. Bow your head with me. Thank you, Lord. We want to be people that stand strong in, a, in this godless culture that we live in. It's truly godless in so many ways. I mean, there's so many good things, but I don't know. It's going to sound crazy, I think. But... Uh, I, I think we ought to be living, Lord. Help us to live in a way that draws out the persecution. <laughs> if we had to live in such a way, Lord God, where our faith was really on the line, our lives were on the line, I think we'd be different. I think we'd be a lot more attractive. And I think there'd be a lot more people that would want to kill us. So it sounds crazy, but I think there needs to be more of this persecution stuff happening. It's a sign that we're alive and well and we're doing things correctly. We're living like your son Jesus. We're living like these disciples that he was teaching. I pray that we could celebrate all of these attitudes in such a way that they would be an invitation to at least some people to be like this. Help us to be peacemakers, merciful people, people that live with pure hearts, true love for you. Meek. Help us to be people that, are, that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Help us to be righteous people that serve you no matter the cost. We're here today, Lord, to, to again swear allegiance to your son Jesus that's who we want to be loyal to the sovereign king of the universe who's all about the territory and the domain we pray this in Jesus name amen have a great day you guys